Jeremiah 11, 1 to 17. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Listen to the terms of this covenant and tell them to the people of Judah and to those who live in Jerusalem. Tell them that this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Cursed is the one who does not obey the terms of this covenant, the terms I commanded your ancestors when I brought them out of Egypt, out of the iron-smelting furnace. I said, Obey me and do everything I command you, and you will be my people, and I will be your God. Then I will fulfill the oath I swore to your ancestors to give them a land flowing with milk and honey, the land you possess today. I answered, Amen, Lord. The Lord said to me, Proclaim all these words in the towns of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. Listen to the terms of this covenant and follow them. From the time I brought your ancestors, ancestors up from Egypt until today, I warned them again and again, saying, Obey me. But they did not listen or pay attention. Instead, they followed the stubbornness of their evil hearts. So I brought on them all the curses of the covenant I had commanded them to follow, but that they did not keep. Then the Lord said to me, There is a conspiracy among the people of Judah and those who live in Jerusalem. They have returned to the sins of their ancestors who refused to listen to my words. They have followed other gods to serve them. Both Israel and Judah have broken the covenant I made with their ancestors. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I will bring on them a disaster they cannot escape. Although they cry out to me, I will not listen to them. The towns of Judah and the people of Jerusalem will go and cry out to the gods to whom they burn incense, but they will not help them at all when disaster strikes. You, Judah, have as many gods as you have towns. And the altars you have set up to burn incense to that shameful god Baal are as many as the streets of Jerusalem. Do not pray for this people or offer any plea or petition for them, because I will not listen when they call to me in the time of their distress. What is my beloved doing in my temple as she with many others works out her evil schemes? Can consecrated meet a virtual punishment? When you engage in your wickedness, then you rejoice. The Lord called you a thriving olive tree with fruit beautiful in form. But with the roar of a mighty storm, he will set it on fire and its branches will be broken. The Lord Almighty who planted you has decreed disaster for you because the people of both Israel and Judah have done evil and arouse my anger by burning incense to Baal. G'day there, I'm Richard. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Uni Church, and I hope you've had uh, a great Father's Day or a chance to express uh, something about Father's Day. 
Uh, for me, I'm a father of two boys and a highlight was my youngest son, Andy, uh, cooking me these delicious cinnamon scrolls or sticky buns as we call it yesterday. And these are amazing. They've got about four types of sugar. They're packed full of carbohydrates. I had one this afternoon, was on a big sugar high and probably gonna crash sometime during this talk. But uh, yeah, I was loving it. So um, sticky buns from Andy, uh, brilliant Father's Day present. Uh, well, during COVID, there's one thing we've had to pay attention to now a lot more closely, and that's contracts. Have you found yourself going over contracts lately? My wife, Jen, and I are celebrating our 25-year anniversary this, uh, in this month, or in October, and we we're going to leave the kids with the grandparents and get away somewhere nice. And I'm not, not sure what Jen booked, but in my mind, it was something like this. This is what I had pictured. Uh, unfortunately, COVID's ruled that all out, so we've had to look closely at the contract. What's the cancellation policy? Can we get our money back? Can I still get those hotel slippers that come in the little bag and you know you shuffle around in? That's what I want to know. And I think all of us are doing similar things with flights and rental arrangements and uni and so on. We've become contract experts. Now in Jeremiah this week we come to a contract problem. There's an issue with the contract or should I say a covenant problem. A covenant is like a contract, only it's more about the relationship itself. It's, you know, God and his people had committed to each other in a formal relationship and set it down in writing. But now there's been a breach in the covenant. Something's gone wrong and there are consequences to work out. And of course, in this passage, then we, it raises for us questions about our relationship with God. Are we in a covenant too? And if so, what are the details? Well, so far in this series, we've met the young prophet, Jeremiah, a youth or teenager from a family of priests who's been given the job of demolishing the kingdom of Judah with the word of God. It's a demolition job of tearing down a nation. And this nation has committed spiritual adultery, and that's chapters 2 to 4, uh, and false worship, that's chapters 7 to 10. And then chapters 5 and 6 in between have been uh, about God like a warrior laying siege to the city. And so in 11 verse 1, we're at to now, the word of the Lord comes again to Jeremiah and this starts a new section. And we have in the next two chapters, three problems for God and Jeremiah. Um, the first problem is, in uh, no, the three problems are the covenant is broken. There's trouble in the family, and God is taking too long. Well, uh, let's look at the first problem. The first problem in 11, 1 to 17, and that is that the people of Judah have broken the covenant. Now, this was read to us before, but the verdict is clear in verse 10. Uh, they have returned to the sins of their ancestors, who refused to listen to my words. They have followed other gods to serve them. Both Israel and Judah have broken the covenant I made with their ancestors. Now, let's backtrack a little here. What is the covenant that Jeremiah is talking about? About a thousand years before, God had written down a covenant with the people of Israel at Mount Sinai in the desert. Now, a covenant is a formalized relationship between two parties with commitments to each other and consequences for breaking it. And this covenant is recorded in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 29, 12 to 15 gives a good summary. Moses says to the people, You are standing here in order to enter into a covenant with the Lord your God, a covenant the Lord is making with you this day and sealing with an oath. 
to confirm you this day as his people, that he may be your God, as he promised you and as he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. I'm making this covenant with its oath, not only with you who are standing here with us today in the presence of the Lord our God, but also with those who are not here today. See, this is the covenant. The Lord will be their God and they will be his people. And the commitments are written down. God will give the people the land and provide for them and protect them. And the people will be exclusively loyal to the Lord and obey his commands in the law, the Old Testament law. So there's the terms. And we see these terms in the passage in Jeremiah, especially verses three to five. God says to Jeremiah, tell them that this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Cursed is the one who does not obey the terms of this covenant. The terms I commanded your ancestors when I brought them out of Egypt, out of the iron smelting furnace. I said, obey me and do everything I command you and you will be my people and I will be your God. Then I will fulfill the oath I swore to your ancestors to give them a land flowing with milk and honey, the land you possess today. Everyone knows the terms. However, Judah has broken the covenant. They have worshipped other gods. They have disobeyed the commands. But what's really at the heart of the problem is not just rule breaking. It's actually the problem of their hearts. Verse 8 says, But they did not listen or pay attention. Instead, they followed the stubbornness of their evil hearts. Behind all that rule breaking was an internal problem, stubborn and evil hearts. Now, the same problem exists for us today. We might not have the same covenant arrangement as the Jewish people did 500 BC, but we have the same problem, stubborn and evil hearts. Jesus said, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. See, the the nicest person you know, the most famous good person you read about in the media, fundamentally has at the core of them a stubborn and evil heart. You and I are not basically good people. We're basically evil people. And if you're investigating Christianity for the first time, look, this idea can be pretty confronting. It's saying our problem with God is not that there's a lack of evidence. Uh, It's not that we're uh, not religious people. It's not that we're too busy for this. It's that fundamentally we have stubborn and evil hearts. I think uh, for a lot of people, um, the COVID thing and the lockdown has shown the evil in our hearts. It's brought it out more. There's nothing like being stuck at home and it's just you and the flatmates. Um, Well, the parents in our church are dealing with online school. Uh, We're all having lots and lots of screen time to bring out all this uh, sin and evil. It doesn't matter what it is. Anger, bitterness, drunkenness, lust, take your pick. In lockdown, every sin wins a prize. But for Israel, this covenant issue, well, it shouldn't be a big surprise. God has warned them repeatedly about this covenant and these issues. He's warned them repeatedly. Look at verse 7. It says there, From the time I brought your ancestors up from Egypt until today, I warned them again and again, saying, Obey me. God has been so patient. He sent them prophets of all kinds for every opportunity to change. In soccer, the referee has the ability to warn rule breakers with a yellow card. 
they break the rule, they can get warned a yellow card. And if they do the wrong thing again, well, the referee can give them a red card and they're sent off. In 2006, when Australia played Croatia in the World Cup, at the 61st minute, Croatian defender Josef Simonic picked up his first yellow from English referee Graham Pohl. At the 90th minute, the ref gave him a second, uh, but not the red. Uh, and then finally, at the 93rd minute, after the game was over, uh, Simonic picked up his third yellow and was finally shown the red. <laughs> the player got one extra warning. Well, God has been showing his people not just one or two yellow cards, but dozens of yellow cards over the centuries. But they have still not taken the warning. And now the red card is coming out for Israel. Covenant breakage has now triggered covenant consequences. Just have a look in verse 11. Therefore, this is what the Lord says, I will bring on them a disaster they cannot escape. A disaster is coming. And the certainty of this disaster is made clear with four things in verses 11 to 15. Four things. Firstly, God will not listen. That's in verse 11. The time is over for when people can cry out to God for help. Secondly, their gods won't help them. In verse 12, those false gods that they worshipped, they won't help them now. Thirdly, Jeremiah won't pray for them. That's in verse 14. Jeremiah had presumably been praying for his people during this time, but that's all over now. Time is up for prayer. And fourthly, their sacrifices won't work in verse 15. Religious activities, offerings, bargaining and so on will not work. It's too late for that. It's a frightening series of verses. And it reminds us too, I think, that there will come a time for us and our city and all of humanity when it is too late to repent and turn back to God. The yellow turns to red. Up until that time, we can pray for our friends and family. We can plead with them to come back to God or we can turn back ourselves. But eventually, time will run out. The opportunity for prayer will be over and death or the day of judgment will come. And nobody knows when that will be. For the 2022 Winter Olympics in Beijing, there's a big timer in the city. It's counting down the days and hours and minutes and seconds. Everyone knows when the games will begin. And there's something like that in God's plan for the day of judgment. Only we can't see the numbers. If you're considering whether to turn back to God, don't take the risk the time will run out before you do. Turn back now before it's too late. Well, we've looked there at the first big problem from this passage, that Israel has broken the covenant. The second problem in our passage is that Jeremiah is in trouble with his family. He's in trouble for talking about God. Just have a look in verses 18 to 21. Because the Lord revealed their plot to me, I knew it. For at that time, he showed me what they were doing. I had been like a gentle lamb led to the slaughter. I did not realize that they had plotted against me, saying, Let us destroy the tree and its fruit. Let us cut him off from the land of the living, that his name be remembered no more. But you, Lord Almighty, who judge righteously and test the heart and mind, let me see your vengeance on them. For to you I have committed my cause. Therefore, this is what the Lord says about the people of Anathoth who are threatening to kill you, saying, Do not prophesy in the name of the Lord or you will die by our hands. 
Can you see what's happening? Anathoth was Jeremiah's hometown, according to chapter 1, and the people there want Jeremiah dead. They say, do not prophesy in the name of the Lord or you will die by our hands. This is a family issue. Do you remember in chapter 1 it forecast that Jeremiah would be in for a rough time, that people would oppose him? Well, now, sure enough, he's, he's talking to people about God and sin and judgment. They want him silent, even his own family. He's, it's like he's facing an early version of cancel culture. Only here it's not his Facebook account that they want to terminate. It's his life itself. So there's a few things to say about this situation of Jeremiah's. Firstly, once again, we see here Jeremiah setting a pattern that Jesus will follow. Just like Jeremiah, Jesus had people plot his death because they didn't like what he was saying and doing. Even in, in his own hometown, people wanted him dead. And of course, in Jesus' case, it actually happened. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. He committed his cause to God, to use the language of Jeremiah, and he died as a faithful prophet in Jerusalem. So Jeremiah is pointing the way forward here for Jesus. Then secondly, the message, this shows us the message of the gospel will still generally be unwelcome today. When we speak about Jesus, the world will try and shut us down. Just recently, uh, the Australian Christian Lobby booked a venue in Western Australia for a conference. But the owners of the venue, the state government, suddenly cancelled the booking a few weeks out. Not because of COVID, not because the ACL hadn't paid, but because they were Christians. And it was only after some serious protests they were actually able to pay the for and use the venue. That's one reason it's so good that we're securing our own venue at Garden Suburb. It gives us a location from which to proclaim the gospel without threat of eviction. But more importantly, we need to be like Jeremiah here, to have the courage to speak uh, the word of God clearly uh, to a world that doesn't want to hear. But just then, the third thing from this little section, I think it shows us that we can't always please our family. Jeremiah's family in Anathoth weren't happy with him. Uh, in fact, in 12 verse 6, God speaks about this again. He says, Your relatives, members of your own family, even they have betrayed you. They have raised a loud cry against you. Do not trust them that they speak well of you. Of course, Jesus warned us about this as well in Luke 12. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Now, I hope you have a great relationship with your family. And of course, we still honor our father and mother according to the fifth commandment. But for Christians, we can't always please our family. As much as we love them, our first loyalty is to God. And we'll gently speak the truth about Jesus and sin and judgment and grace to them. And we will live lives that seek to please God. Many of us, although we love Jesus, are also hanging on to something else that's very precious to us that we could call parental approval. It's kind of like a trophy on your bookshelf. I've got this old trophy of mine that I found under the house in a box, and we've got a close-up of the plaque. It reads NCC, that's Normanhurst Cricket Club, 
1985-86, best bowler, under 11, black. R. Sweatman, that's me. Best bowler, I know you're impressed. I bet Ed Monday's impressed. This is a great trophy. But some of us have a virtual trophy labeled parental approval. You know, whatever else is happening in life, you've got the trophy, parental approval. And following Jesus has a big impact on your life, but this trophy always ends up with top priority. Now, I think this is something we've got to give over to Jesus. Especially you guys, you feel like you're younger, you're just coming to terms with adulthood. Perhaps you're the oldest child. You Maybe you're the traditional good son or the traditional good daughter. This is something you need to hand over to Jesus. You can say, look, I'm going to honour and respect and love my parents. But Jesus, here, look, you take this. I'm going to follow you even if I don't get the approval I've always had. Or even if it means disapproval. Jeremiah shows us that faithfulness to God can mean conflict. But we have a great role model here. Here is someone who can help us as we disappoint or annoy our family. Remember verse 20. He says, to you I have committed my cause. Well, we come now to the third problem in the passage. Uh, We've seen that uh, there's a covenant breakage, uh, there's conflict in the family. But the third problem here is that God seems to be taking too long to deal with people's covenant breaking. Have a look in chapter 12, verse 1 to 4. You are always righteous, Lord, when I bring a case before you. Yet I would speak with you about your justice. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the faithless live at ease? You have planted them and they have taken root. They grow and bear fruit. You are always on their lips, but far from their hearts. Yet you know me, Lord. You see me and test my thoughts about you. Drag them off like sheep to be butchered. Set them apart for the day of slaughter. How long will the land lie parched and the grass in every field be withered? Because those who live in it are wicked. The animals and birds have perished. Moreover, the people are saying, he will not see what happens to us. So here is a complaint from Jeremiah to God. And these verses are in the form of a psalm, just like you'd find in the book of the Psalms. And Jeremiah is complaining to God. Why do people who ignore God seem to have such an easy life? Why does life go so well for people who pay no attention to God and who've broken the covenants as we saw before? And you can see how he describes them. In verse 2, God is always on their lips, but far from their hearts. Or verse 4, the people are saying, he will not see what's happening to us. Jeremiah has his own timeline for dealing with the world's problems, and God is not meeting it. God is behind schedule. Do you ever feel like that? I think we can sympathize with Jeremiah here. The Bible tells us that ignoring God is a huge problem, but our friends and our colleagues at, at work and school and uni, they seem to be doing just fine. Their living arrangements are okay. They've got boyfriend, girlfriend, nice relationships. They're in good health. They're they're earning some money, whatever it might be. They seem to be doing fine. Will God ever do anything about people who don't care about him? Will God do anything about the evil in the world? Well, of course, God does have an answer for Jeremiah in verses 5 to 13. And actually, it's maybe more than Jeremiah was asking for. We'll just pick it up from verse 7. God says, 
I will forsake my house, abandon my inheritance. I will give the one I love into the hands of her enemies. My inheritance has become to me like a lion in the forest. She roars at me, therefore I hate her. Has not my inheritance become to me like a speckled bird of prey that other birds of prey surround and attack? Go and gather all the wild beasts, bring them to devour. Many shepherds will ruin my vineyard and trample down my field. They will turn my pleasant field into a desolate wasteland. God is saying that a time of judgment is coming. And it's not just going to be a little tidy up of covenant breakers here and there. No, the whole nation will be obliterated. The many shepherds of verse 10 are foreign kings and they will invade and destroy the nation. It's like the Hunter Valley with its vineyards and luxury and fertility and being turned into the Simpson Desert. It's that bad. And what this passage is particularly helpful for, though, is, is taking us into the heart of God and particularly the inattention that God experiences in judgment as he waits. See, on the one hand, Judah is, according to God, the one I love. That's verse 7. God loves Judah. These people are precious to him. On the other hand, because of Judah's hostility to God, he says in verse 8, therefore I hate her. God is hostile to his people. Love and hate side by side within two verses. We see the inner life of God. And is that how you think about God? Could Jeremiah here be expanding your thinking about God? Somehow God loves and hates his people at the same time. Now, within Jeremiah's lifetime, all this judgment does actually happen. The Babylonian um, army comes and destroys the nation and people are killed and buildings are knocked down and burnt. It's a complete ruin. But what we see in these verses ultimately, though, is, is prophecy about Jesus. And in Jesus, this tension of God's inner life comes together. At the cross, uh, Jesus, the one God loves, was abandoned. He was given into the hands of his enemies to use the language of Jeremiah 12, verse 7. Foreign rulers, in his case the Romans, destroyed him. So at the cross, Jesus was bearing all the covenant curses spoken about in Jeremiah. Somehow the Son of God, whom the Father loves, bore all of God's hatred and hostility to sin and sinners. And therefore it's only because of Jesus we can now have a relationship of peace with God although we have sinful hearts. And this passage actually ends with hope. There's just a little foretaste of the gospel. If you look in chapter 12, verse 14, this is what the Lord says. As for all my wicked neighbors who seize the inheritance I gave my people Israel, I will uproot them from their lands and I will uproot the people of Judah from among them. But after I uproot them, I will again have compassion and will bring each of them back to their own inheritance and their own country. And if they learn well the ways of my people and swear by my name, saying, as surely as the Lord lives, even as they once taught my people to swear by Baal, then they will be established among my people. But if any nation does not listen, I will completely uproot and destroy it, declares the Lord. God will have compassion on the remnants of his nation and plant them back in the land. But more than that, even the Gentile nations have hope here. Verse 16 is about Gentile nations learning the way of the Jews and giving loyalty to God. 
This is people like us with no connection to Israel. We will be established by God as his people. Later in Jeremiah, in chapter 31, God will even speak about the new covenant to replace the old broken one, a covenant of forgiveness of sins and heart renewal. Let's just read a couple of verses from Jeremiah 31, where he speaks about this new covenant. Verse 33, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. How wonderful is that? A new covenant marked out by forgiveness of wickedness, no longer remembering sins, the law in their minds and written on their hearts. And of course, we know this to be true, that this has come into being because of Jesus. Jesus has brought this new covenant in. The book of Hebrews explains this, but let's just look at one verse, Hebrews 9, verse 15, where it says, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. We wondered before, are we in covenant with God now? Is there a deal here? What are the details of that? Well, the Bible explains that, yes, we are in a new covenant relationship with God through Jesus, marked by forgiveness of sins and heart renewal. Praise him for that. Well, we've seen here today, looking at Jeremiah, that there's a serious problem in Judah, and that's covenant breakage. And it's more serious than a contract issue with a hotel. It's a serious breakage of this ancient covenant between God and his people. There's disloyalty to God, but we've seen it's not just rule breakage, it's, it's internal, stubborn and evil hearts. And God is holding off judgment, but the time is short. We saw those four things. There'll be a time when he won't listen. Their false gods won't save them. The time for prayer will be over and sacrifices won't work. And of course, the day of judgment did come for Jerusalem when Babylon conquered. But for us now, the, uh, the Bible invites us as outsiders to Israel to, um, like those verses say, learn the ways of God's people and give our loyalty to him as part of the new covenant. Now, if this is not something you've done yet, I invite you today to give your loyalty to God. Submit to him as your Lord. Become one of his people. Find forgiveness and hope in Jesus. There are probably people praying for you, just like Jeremiah was praying for Jerusalem as long as he was allowed. Don't leave it too late, for there will come a time when it will be too late. We'd love you to send a message to that phone number after the talk. Get in touch with us. But if you have given your life to Jesus, well, then praise God, you're part of the new covenant. And I think as Christians, we can take on board the comforts and challenges of this passage. We can commit our cause to God, even as we deal with conflicts in the world and conflicts with family and the struggle of waiting patiently for God's justice in the world. But we can also be challenged today not to allow the stubbornness of our sinful hearts to continue. We can be challenged not to be Christians in appearance only, like 12 verse 2. The Lord is always on their lips, but far from their hearts. No, no, we can be new covenant people, 
God is our God. We are his people. Our sins are forgiven and we now live to please him. Let this day be a day when we renew our loyalty to our Lord Jesus and give God the rightful place in our hearts. Let's pray for that. Heavenly Father, we confess to you that our hearts are stubborn and full of sin. Thank you that Jesus took all the covenant curses and punishments for us. Thank you that he establishes a new covenant with us of forgiveness, peace and renewal. Jesus is our Lord. Help us to learn his ways and follow him. In Jesus' name, amen.